today. Woo! I get to st- we get to study one of my favorite topics in the whole world. Joy. I got this joy, joy, joy down in my heart. Joy, man. Joy. We're going to learn about, hey, I'm always hoppy. If you're new here, my last name's Hoppy. I'm, I'm always happy, and I love joy. I love being around people of joy. If I take a day off uh, on a Saturday or something, I could choose a friend to hang out with. I'm going to hang out with someone that's got joy in their heart because I like being around joyful people. I like being joyful. I like being happy, and I like being around joyful, happy people. And guess what? That's the way Jesus was. He was, yes, he was a man acquainted with sorrows. I get that. But he's a man of joy, too, and he wants you to be joyful also. How do I know that? Because that's what he said. John 15, 11, he says, I've spoken these things unto you, that my joy may be in you, and your joy may be what? Full. That's Jesus' words. You know what he's saying there? He's saying, one of the purposes of my teaching throughout the scriptures is to have joyful disciples so that my joy, as I speak to them and teach them, my joy may be in them, and their joy may be made full. That's one of the purposes of the word of God, is to get Jesus' joy in your life. And joyful people represent Jesus well. It's part of being the light of the world. It's living in joy. My pastor, Pastor Chuck Smith, founder of Calvary Chapel, one of the reasons why he had such a fruitful ministry is that guy was a man of joy. He had this thousand-watt smile, even when he's teaching God's word. I mean, he'd teach you things that you didn't want to hear, but you had to receive it because he was so full of joy. It's like, oh, you're going to hell if you don't receive Christ, but oh, praise the Lord. And you're going, whoa. And you receive it because there was such joy emanating from this guy's life. And they had a very fruitful ministry because of the joy of the Lord that was in Pastor Chuck. And people from all over the place rallied around Pastor Chuck and his leadership because he was a man of joy. Joy, joy. We're going to learn about joy this morning. And we're going to learn some great scriptures on joy. And there's scriptures all throughout the Bible on joy. Let me give you just a few that prove my point that joy is important for the kingdom of God and for the disciples of Jesus Christ. Just, we're gonna, this is like a machine gun approach here. We're going to look at a bunch of scriptures, and I'm just going to read them to you. And, and let me read them just to you real quick. Joy is a part of living in strength. Nehemiah chapter 8.10, at the end of the verse, is don't be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your what? Strength. Isaiah talked about uh, joy also. It says, in the ransom, Isaiah 35, 10, and the ransom of the Lord will return and come with joyful shouting to Zion with everlasting joy upon their heads. They will find gladness and joy and sorrow and sighing will flee away. David, after he repented from his sin of adultery and murder, here's part of his prayer, Psalm 51, 2. Lord, restore to me the what? joy of your salvation and sustain me with a willing spirit. Jeremiah said a part of studying God's word and being in God's word will be joy because he said in Jeremiah 15, 16, your words, God's words, were found and I ate them. And your word, your words, God, became for me a joy and the delight of my heart for I've been called by your name, O Lord, God of hosts. Part of being in God's presence I already prayed it this morning. It's joy. Psalm 1611. You will make known to me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of what? Joy. In your right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. Proverbs talks about joy. Proverbs 1028 says this. The hope of the righteous is gladness. 
but the expectation of the wicked perishes. James 1, 2-4 says you can even have joint trials because James told us, consider it all joy, joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance and let endurance have its perfect result so you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Paul told us in Philippians 4, 4, rejoice when you feel like it. What does he say? Rejoice in the Lord always, and then he reemphasizes, and again, he says, rejoice, be people of joy. Interesting, the shortest verse in the New Testament isn't Jesus wept in the original language. Jesus wept is the shortest verse in the English, but in the original language, the shortest verse in the New Testament is 1 Thessalonians 5.16, which says, rejoice always. Another version says, rejoice continually. That's the shortest verse in the original language in the New Testament. Rejoice continually. So I think it's pretty important for, for us to be people of joy. It's all throughout the scriptures. Interesting. Interesting. So, how many of you here this morning want to have more joy in your life? <laughs> how many of you here this morning want to be happy? So put your spiritual ears on it, and we're going to learn from one of the greatest sermons Jesus ever preached. I'm not going to embellish it much because it's straight from the words of Jesus. And the longest sermon he ever preached is a part of this. It's called, it's called the Beatitudes. It's in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5. If you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 5. And we're going to study Jesus' teaching on joy. Because each one of these Beatitudes of Jesus in Matthew 5, 1 through 16, starts with the word blessed, 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 Blessed. You go to the original language, blessed. You know what blessed means? Original language, it means this. Oh, how happy are these people that have these attitudes. And the Beatitudes are called that because there are certain attitudes we're supposed to have as disciples and certain attitudes we're supposed to be and characterized by. And Jesus lays it out for his disciples, for us. These are the attitudes. This is the way you're supposed to live. And if you live this way, you're going to be happy. Oh, how happy are those that live with these attitudes and they're being these things. It's good stuff. So, let's, if you're there, say amen. Matthew chapter 5, verse 1. It says, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And after he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and began to teach them. Now, Interesting. In that culture, in that time, when a rabbi would begin his teaching, he would sit down, and then all the disciples would stand up. What in the world happened? (laughs) Why do I stand for 45 minutes, and you guys all sit the whole time? Next Sunday, starting next Sunday. I got this chair up here, man. Let's, let's practice it once. I'm sitting. Everybody stand right now. Wouldn't that be great? For 45 minutes. You, no, I'm just kidding. I'll stand. Nobody will come back next week if you're ever. But that, that's, that's what Jesus did, though. Rabbis in the day, they would sit, and everybody, all the disciples would stand. And notice, Jesus here is teaching his disciples. These attitudes are for his disciples, it's a part of kingdom living. And it's beginning the Sermon on the Mount and saying, these are the things I want to teach my disciples. Disciples. So the first thing, happy attitude. 
attitude of joy, an attitude that will bring joy. Let's look at it. Verse three, blessed, oh how happy, are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven? Isn't that paradoxical? We're talking about being happy. We're talking about having joy. And it says a part of joy is being poor in your spirit. Now it doesn't say poor physically, it says poor in your what? Spirit. Why would that make you happy? Here's why. Because when you get to a point where you realize you're morally bankrupt and that nothing you can do can get you to the kingdom of heaven, that's your first step into the kingdom of heaven. And then there will be an explosion of grace that happens when you reach that point where you say, oh man, I'm a sinner in need of a savior. Lord, forgive me. And you get right with the Holy God and that brings joy. I remember when it happened to me. 40 years ago, February 1978, and I had been fighting it for months. Everybody that witnessed to me said, just, I'm fine. I'm a Christian. I go to church on Christmas and Easter all the time. I'm great. I'm better than some other people. And they kept telling me, no, 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 that's, that's, that's not going to get you into the kingdom of heaven. You got to the point where you trust Christ and you acknowledge your sin and you admit your sin and you come before a holy God and you ask for his forgiveness through Christ being your Savior and Lord. And I finally got to that point where I was broken and I cried out to God, God, I need you. I'm lost. I'm a sinner. And I need Jesus to be my Savior. And I was like, this condemnation went off the shoulders and the grace started flooding into my life and I was saved. And I was so much happier. Because blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And you know what? It takes humility to have grace. God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And that poverty of spirit is what will bring the kingdom of heaven into your life, and that will bring joy. Jesus told us a parable about that one time. Remember the parable of the tax collector and the Pharisee? The Pharisee stood up and said, oh, I'm so glad I'm not like that sinner over there. I tithe, I'm a religious, I do all these religious things. And they said, I'm glad I'm not like that tax collector thief over there. And he sat out, and then the tax collector stood up and he said, beat his breast. He said, oh God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus said that Pharisee, prideful, arrogant Pharisee, didn't go home right with God, but the tax collector, the sinner who had poverty of spirit, he was justified that day, and he entered the kingdom of heaven. Do you see how that works? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, and there's joy in that because grace floods your life through that humility and that acceptance of his grace. He has shown the old man what is good, what the Lord requires of thee, but to do justice and to, lo- to love mercy or kindness and to, notice, and to walk humbly with your God. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, the next one, that's not easy either. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Mourn, we're talking about joy. And he's talking about mourning. Doesn't make sense. What's he talking about mourning over? I believe it's sin. 
See, the world doesn't mourn over sin. What does the world do with sin? It celebrates sin, and it flaunts sin. And we're to be the opposite. The last time I was in New York City, I saw a stark reality of that. We're walking down Times Square, and people are just so worldly, and we're walking down Times Square, and then this guy, I'm walking up to this guy, and he's got a cowboy hat on, and he's got cowboy boots on, and he has whitey tidy Hanes underwear, and that's it. I'm going, what in the world? Arrest that guy. Nobody was arresting him. People were giving him money because the world celebrates and flaunts sin. And then we get, we get, we get, on, a, we get on a subway, and there wasn't a seat for me on the subway, so I had Daniel, and I think Jennifer was there, and Heidi was there, and they sat on this end of the subway. And so I went, and I sat down over here in the subway and found a seat right here. And then this guy comes on the subway and sits right across from me like this and has a miniskirt on and high heels and a low thing like this and a, a black wig that went down to his waist. And I'm like, oh, boy. <laughs> and so I did my best not to make a deal of it. I just looked this way, and I looked this way. I'm not going to, I'm just kind of looking around. I'm going <laughs> like this. And as I'm looking around like that, he starts screaming at me. And he's going, what are you looking at? And I'm doing my best not to look at him, right? What are you looking at? Like that. I'm going, and, he's, and then he started swearing at me. I mean, four-letter words. Expletive, expletive. What are you looking at? Finally, I gave him the best Clint Eastwood stare I could give. And I said, pal, I'm not looking at anything. And he just quieted down after that. But it was like, what in the world is going on here? Lost. The world celebrates and flaunts sin. What does the disciple of Christ do with sin? Blessed are those who mourn. Mourn. For they shall be comforted in their mourning. Mourning over sin. It's an important part of being a disciple and having happiness too. You know why? Because 1 John chapter 1 verse 9 says, if we mourn over sin and we confess that sin to our Father, he, he will forgive us of those sins and then he'll purify or cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And here's what happens. You, you have the right attitude towards sin. The Bible says, 2 Corinthians chapter 7, it says that, that as we have a godly sorrow over sin, and mourn over it in our lives, we'll bring it to the throne of grace, and then we'll repent, and we'll get right with God, and with that repentance and getting right with God is happiness, because you're not living in guilt anymore, because you did the right thing. You kept a, a short account with that sin, got it right with the holy God, and now you're cleansed, and you're walking clean again. One of my favorite parts of my quiet time every day as I begin my day, I go through acts, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. One of my favorite parts is the confession part, because I get honest with God. And I, I mourn over anything I've done wrong in the last time before my quiet time. And I bring it to the throne of grace and I say, God, would you forgive me? And he just gives me a spiritual shower of cleansing. And I'm right again. And the joy of the Lord is back. See how that works? Peter said this. He said in Acts chapter 3, uh, right around verse 19, he said, therefore repent and return so that your sins may will be wiped away in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Blessed are those who mourn, who get things right with God, and confess and repent. And then there's this refreshing that comes from being right with God. Isn't that what David did again in Psalm 51 after he repented of his adultery and murder? He said this, Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. 
take not thy Holy Spirit from me, and restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Interesting. Next attitude about being happy and oh, how happy. Oh, how happy, verse 5, are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Now, gentle, what does that mean? The original language is it means strength under control. It means that you're, you're taking what you have and you're letting that be guided actually by someone else so it would be under the control of a master. Actually, the word is from in that time in the Roman Empire when they'd have a stallion, a wild stallion, and they'd tame the stallion, and after the stallion was tamed, it'd be under the control of that master. That's gentle. It's not talking about weakness. It's talking about strength under the control of a master. And, and specifically for disciples of Christ, what we do if we're living this kind of life is we come under the master, Jesus Christ, and we say, okay, you got me, Lord. I'm going to take my strength, and it's going to be under your mastery and your control. I'm going to trust in you with all my heart. I'm not going to leave my understanding any, anymore. In all my ways, I'm going to acknowledge you, and I'm going to let you, Lord, direct my paths. And you know what I've noticed? When I take back the control in my life as a disciple of Christ, when I try to lead my own life, I'm on a path of self-destruction oftentimes. I'm like a train headed for a brick wall. Oh, that was a good timing, wasn't it? Right there. Amazing. Thank you, Lord. Amazing. I, I, I set that all up with the railroad. It's a timer. <laughs> Anyways, that's what gentle is, under the control of a master. And it's so much better. Life is so much better when we come under the control, the yoke of Jesus Christ. Jesus says, hey, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am, notice what he says, even Jesus said this, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Interesting to me, Jesus, Lord of the universe, he was gentle, why? Because he was under the control of his Father. He said, not my will be done, but what? Your will be done. And so he said, I'm not here to do my business, I'm not here to do my Father's business, so even Jesus was gentle. His strength was even under the control of the master. And it's so much better when we let our hands off the steering wheel, <laughs> say, Jesus, you got it. I'm gonna trust in you. I'm gonna taste and see that you are good. And blessed are I'm gonna be if I put my trust in you. Life is better when you're gentle. And you put it under the mastery of Jesus Christ and let him lead your life. He'll bless you. And there's happiness with that, too, because you're not in this self-destructive mode of trying to do it all yourself. You're trusting him. There's happiness in that trust. Blessed, verse 6, are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be what? Satisfied. Now, what does it mean to hunger and thirst? It reminds me of when the summer before I went to seminary. My dad got me a job to help pay for seminary doing road construction. It was the hottest summer that was recorded in the history of Chicago. And I was out there on asphalt with jackhammers and shoveling asphalt. And I mean, we had some 12, 14 hour days regularly because they, they, in Chicago, you only got about five or six months to do road construction, and then you're shut down for the winter. 
And I remember doing that for 14-hour days, and some days we didn't even have time for lunch because we're going, going, going. It's great because it's 14 hours an hour in the early 80s. 14 hours an hour, anything over eight hours a day was 21 or 20-some dollars an hour. And I'm going, bring it on. Let's keep doing overtime. But I remember coming home after that, and, and after sweating all day and doing this road construction stuff, I remember I would, I would, I would be so thirsty. I would do you know, those big bottles of Gatorade. I'd do three of them just on, as soon as I got home. Because I was so thirsty. And then I, I remember begging my mom, Mom, cook me some dinner. And she'd make me some tacos or something else. And I would just consume because I was so hungry. So what does it mean to hunger and thirst for righteousness? You've got a passion for personal righteousness. You've got a hunger for it. You want it more than anything else just about. And that will bring a life that's satisfied. Why? Why? Because you're firing on all eight cylinders and you're living the way you were created to live when you're hungering and thirsting to live in God's righteousness. You're living right. I've said it before, I'll say it again. Holiness, personal righteousness and holiness, holiness leads to happiness. And don't let the devil lie to you about otherwise. God's commandments are not burdensome. They're not there to be a burden on you. They're to bless you and live the best life possible because you're hungering and thirsting for righteousness and that'll bring satisfaction to your soul because you're getting it right. The happiest times of my life in the last 40 years have been when I've been obedient. Some of the most unhappy times of my life is when I've backslid and I haven't gotten things right and I start going into a season of disobedience and it's a wreck. The most unhappy people in the world are Christians that are living in disobedience because you've got too much, of the, too much of Jesus to enjoy the world and too much of the world to enjoy Jesus. You need a hunger, thirst for righteousness. Have a personal passion for personal righteousness and it will bring happiness and satisfaction in life. Remember after I got saved, the Lord's put in my heart, I had to get rid of some things. And this, I, I started having this passion to live right because I was walking with Jesus now. And so I started getting rid of the drinking on the weekends and I, I, the Lord just said, stop, get rid of it. No more, no more getting drunk on the weekends. I just stopped. I've been drunk in 40 years now. Praise the Lord. So grateful for that. My dad had 35 years of alcoholism. I was going the same way. And the Lord broke that cycle because of salvation. Praise the Lord. And then after the drinking, and then I had a lot of party friends at the time that I used to smoke, pastoral confession, we used to smoke marijuana together. And after a couple months of being a Christian, they started trying to get me back in that. And I said, no, I'm done with that. And I, got, I had to not only get rid of that part of my life, I had to get rid of some of those friends because they kept trying to pull me back. And I loved them and witnessed them, but I didn't hang out with them anymore. Done. And then I remember uh, uh, magazines. I had a whole pile of them, you know, one of my drawers, and the Lord told me, get rid of that. Took them out to the dumpster. Garbage, because it was garbage. Get rid of it. I even got rid of a girlfriend. Because she didn't want to get saved. She wanted to keep partying with me and stuff. And, and then we ended up on prom night. And we had this, this battle on prom night because, because she wanted to party with my, my old party friends and uh, craziness. And, and I said, no, I'm done with that. I want to live for Christ now. And she said, well, I don't want to live for Christ. I said, well, we're done that. That's the <laughs> longest drive home I ever had was that night. 
There was no, the radio was broken in this old station wagon. It was my car. And I had to drive her 40 minutes home after that. But I had this hunger, this passion for personal righteousness, and it brought satisfaction and happiness and blessing in my life. And those steps of obedience brought blessing and happiness. That's what obedience and personal righteousness does. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Oh, how happy. And then it goes on, blessed, verse 7, are the merciful, for they shall what? Receive mercy. Here's another part of happiness. Mercy. And why should we as Christians be merciful? And by the word, by the way, the word mercy means this. It means having compassion and love even for those people that have wronged you or have done wrong. That's mercy. Why should we have compassion and love for people that do wrong? Because God is a God who has compassion and mercy and love for you even when you've done wrong. And blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy. And by the way, it's not only God. We should be merciful people because God is so merciful to us, but also we should be merciful because if you're a person of mercy, here's what's gonna happen. When you blow it and you make mistakes is other people are gonna be more leaning towards mercy towards you if you're a person of mercy. If you're legalistic, judgmental, always coming down on people and stuff, what's gonna happen is other people, when you make mistakes, they're not gonna show as much mercy because you haven't been merciful. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. In the last 40 years of ministry, I've seen a part of happiness in disciples of Jesus Christ is they learn to bend towards mercy and forgiveness and grace. The most unhappy people I've seen, especially in the ministry I've seen, are people that have grudges and bitterness and anger and unforgiveness in their heart. They don't have happiness at all because they haven't gotten things right. The Bible makes it very clear, Ephesians chapter 4 tells us that if, if we're at odds with somebody and, and, and we need, they've, they've wronged us, we need to get it right. We need to speak truth to them in love, yes, but don't let the anger go down in your sin and get it right. Because it says in Ephesians chapter 4, at the end of the chapter, therefore lay aside falsehood, speak truth of each, I'm sorry, Ephesians 4.30, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Listen, listen to this, verse 31, listen. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God and Christ also has forgiven you. Blessed are the merciful. Oh, how happy are people of mercy. And then they're going to receive mercy too. Interesting. Hmm. Blessed are the pure in heart, verse 8, for they shall what? Hey, listen, you know what that's saying? You're going to guard your heart. Because if you don't guard your heart and it gets filthy, you'll have a distancing from God. Now, listen, you won't lose your salvation just because of letting garbage get in your heart, but you'll feel a pulling away and that intimacy with your relationship with God. I learned that experientially as I walked with God. I've learned that if I go into a season of disobedience and I just, just, I'll grieve the Holy Spirit. And as I grieve the Holy Spirit, I feel, yeah, I'm still saved, but I'm not close with God anymore. And one of my main motivations in being obedient is not only for God's blessing to me in my life, but also for God's presence in my intimacy, my closeness with God. Because there's nothing more 
satisfying, nothing that will produce more joy in my life, nothing that will produce more blessing in my life than to be close in my relationship with God. So blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And again, that's why David prayed, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Take not thy Holy Spirit from me, and restore unto me, what? The joy of my salvation. Guard your heart, Christians. Guard your heart. Keep, keep short accounts with God. If you start getting a dirty heart, confess it. Get it right with God, because blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. They'll have intimacy with God. It's part of happiness. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Now look at this one, verse 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called what? Now why are you being called a son of God if you're a peacemaker? Because God is a God of peace. He's characterized by peace. He loves peace. Jesus was called the Prince of Peace. His son, Prince of Peace. And as disciples of Christ, we're supposed to be peacemakers. What does that mean? It means when people wrong you, not only do you show mercy to them, but you initiate reconciliation. When people wrong you, not only do you have compassion on people that have done wrong, but you go, according to Matthew chapter 18, verse 15, when a brother sins against you, you don't, lo- you don't wait for them to crawl to you on glass begging for forgiveness. No. You initiate, Matthew 18, 15 says, if a brother sins against you, go to that brother and get things right with them. Speak truth, yeah, but get things right. Be a peacemaker with the per- people that have wronged you. And maybe this is speaking to some of you here this morning. You got something going on in your family, with a parent, with a spouse, with a kid, whatever else. And the Bible is telling you, be a peacemaker. Because blessed are the peacemakers. For they shall be called sons of God. Initiate. Get it right. I had to do it last night with Heidi. I was... I just had to say, sweetheart, I'm, I'm sorry. And I could tell it still wasn't bringing peace. And so I, I, I'm sorry, and not only am I sorry, I was a jerk. And she just looked at me and said, yeah, you're right. No, she didn't say that. The look said that to me. Yeah, you're right. But be, and what she did after that, though, is she, yeah, you were being a jerk. And, but, but, but there is peace then. Because us guys, we have a hard time just saying I'm sorry. That's a tough thing to come out. I'm sorry. But, but you know what I knew at that point? If I didn't get that right with her at that point, because I was, I was a jerk. I did something. I'm not going to tell you what I did, but I was a jerk. <laughs> Some of you say, oh, Pastor John, tell me. No. So anyways, I was a jerk. And I knew that if I didn't apologize right there and admit that I'd been a jerk, we'd have a rough night last night. <laughs> we would have a rough night last night. But because I did it right, and I said, I'm sorry, I was a peacemaker, and I said I was a jerk, at that point, we had a great rest of the night. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And you know, maybe you need to do that with somebody. Maybe you need to say, hey, I'm sorry. Forgive me. Be a peacemaker. It'll help you have more joy. Peacemaker. Peace. All right. Last one, tough one, verse 10. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. 
Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You, Christians, disciples, you, you're the salt of the earth. But if salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You, Christians, you're the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on the lampstand and gives light to all who are in the house. Great verse, verse 16. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works, and then they too may glorify your Father who is in heaven. The last principle for being happy, blessed, 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 oh how happy, are those that are the light of the world, the salt of the earth, and you're not afraid to be that even if persecution comes. Because guess what, church? In a world that's wicked, in a world that's filthy, when you start hungering for, and thirsting for righteousness, when you start living in, in um, mourning over sin, instead of celebrating and repenting of it, when you start having a life that's under the mastery of the control of the master, Jesus Christ, when you start having a life where you're characterized by his righteousness, you're gonna get some heat for that. It's part of the package. 2 Timothy 3.12 says, all who live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. It's part of the package of living in a sinful world when you're the light of the world. But here's the good news. As you shine your light in such a way, that others see your good works, they see these attributes, these beatitudes lived out in your life, when they see that, some of them are gonna come to a point of glorifying your Father in heaven. And there's no more joy that you can have in life than being the light of the world and seeing other people come into the light and get saved because of your light. There's joy in that, man. John, John, Apostle John said, 3 John uh, uh, chapter uh, uh, verse four, he said this in Third John. He says, "I have no greater joy than this, than to hear my children walking in truth." When you see people go into truth because of your light and your salt, there's joy in that. Easter weekend, one of the best weekends I've had in a long time. Amazing. One of the reasons why it was one of the best weekends I've had in a long time is because our Easter sunrise service it was it was the bomb. It was awesome. I had just a blast. I mean, over a thousand people there, and we had incredible worship, and the day was beautiful. It was project, 10 days out, we were supposed to get rain on that day. We prayed the rain away. It's awesome. And we get, had just a great service with Jake, you know, Bentley and Marcus Lattimore giving their testimonies of Christ in their, their lives. And then we gave the altar call, and I was, I was standing up there on that stage during the altar call and just, just watching these people come forward. We had over a dozen people come to Christ on Easter sunrise service. That was awesome. Awesome. And I'm, <laughs> I remember looking out as, you know, the sun had just come up and it was a beautiful Easter morning and, and these people started coming down and I remember looking and I was specifically looking at this one girl. She had come down and she was just crying. Tears were just rolling down her eyes. And I saw a true conversion there and I'm going, wow, no greater joy than this to see Someone coming to Christ like that. And then men's breakfast yesterday. We had a gentleman uh, share during the men's breakfast. We have about 60 men on Saturday men's breakfast. And it's wonderful. We all eat together and start the word together. But one of the men that came yesterday, he shared with the whole group at the men's breakfast yesterday that 
just two weeks ago, Easter sunrise service, he came to Christ. And now he's coming to our men's breakfast in the church. I'm going, praise the Lord. There's no greater joy than being the light of the world. Amen, church? And you know what? If we want joy in our lives, we need to be doing what God's called us to do and going and preaching the gospel to all creation and making disciples of all the nations and being the light of the world. And being the salt of the earth, too. What salt did was they were was a preservative from getting the world rotten. We are the only thing, Christians, we are the only thing that's keeping this world from being rotten. And so we need to live out these beatitudes if we're going to be the light of the world. And so what, going back to our scripture in Matthew chapter, 50, Matthew chapter 5, what do we need to live out? What kind of attitudes? What do we need to be? Let's go, let's recap right here. If we're going to be the light of the world, if we're going to be what God's called us to be, we need to be poor in spirit. We need to have this realization that we are morally bankrupt and the only way we can be right with a holy God is through Jesus Christ being our Savior and our Lord and his grace coming into our lives. We need to be people who mourn over sin, don't flaunt it, don't celebrate it. We repent of it. We get it right. We keep short, short accounts with God and that'll bring happiness. We need to be people who are gentle. Well, that means our strength is under the control of our master, Jesus, and then we're gonna inherit the earth. We need to be people who hunger and thirst for what? righteousness, because that'll bring satisfaction to our life. We need to be people that are merciful, and then we're going to receive mercy. What does that mean? We have a compassion and love for people, even people that do wrong, because we're a people of mercy and forgiveness. If we're going to have happiness in our life, we need to be pure in heart, because when we're pure in heart, we're going to see God. We'll have intimacy with God. If we're going to have happiness in our life, we need to be people of peace, who reconcile with people quickly. We don't let the sun go down our anger. We get things right with people that have wronged us. And lastly, if we're gonna be happy, blessed, we need to be the light of the world. We got a job to do in this world. Ambassadors for Christ. We represent the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. We need to shine brightly in a dark world that's getting darker. Amen? Okay, in closing this morning, can't do any of this stuff without a growing relationship with Jesus Christ where you're nurturing that relationship. I want to give you two illustrations of two of my heroes in closing this morning that will illustrate what I'm talking about here, the importance of a relationship with Christ where you're cultivating a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. One of my heroes, you've heard me talk about him, he's my hero, Billy Graham. Billy Graham, in his autobiography, Just As I Am, tells about being invited for lunch to the home of one of the world's wealthiest men on an island in the Caribbean. And throughout lunch, this 75-year-old man seemed close to tears, telling Billy Graham, I'm the most miserable man in the world. Out there is my yacht. I can go anywhere I want. I have my private plane, my helicopters. I have everything I want to make my life happy, yet I'm as miserable as hell. And the Grahams talked and prayed with the man, doing their best to point him to Christ, who alone would be able to give him the deep meaning in life he sought. But after leaving the man's beautiful home, the Grahams returned to their small cottage where they were staying on the island. And that afternoon, the pastor of the local Baptist church came to call. In spite of his limited resources and difficult situations, he was full of enthusiasm and love for Christ. This pastor, this Baptist pastor says, I don't have two pounds to my name, but Billy, I'm the happiest man on this island. Hmm. After the pastor left, Billy Graham turned to his wife Ruth and asked, who do you think is the richer man? Ruth Graham didn't even need to reply, for the answer was obvious. 
What the rich man was seeking was happiness, a reason to laugh and forget his troubles. What the pastor had already found was a deep-seated joy based not on what he possessed, but on who possessed him, and that was Jesus Christ. You want to have happiness. It's got to flow from a personal, abiding relationship with Jesus Christ where you're growing in that relationship. He's the source. He's the fountain of joy. One of my other heroes, Johnny Erickson Tata. Oh, I'm so looking forward to getting to heaven when we both passed away and I'm just going to hang out with her a little bit because she, la- she, she still is a lady of incredible character and fortitude. She's been a, para- a, quadri- excuse me, a quadriplegic for 50 years, five decades. She hasn't been able to move below her neck. But she has an abiding, close relationship with Jesus Christ. Listen to what this says. During a break at a Christian women's conference, Johnny Erickson Tata was asked about her joy. In the article, Joy Hard Won, Johnny said the woman wanted to know how she could look so happy and be a quadriplegic in a wheelchair. Johnny's answer. I don't do it, I said. Johnny said, in fact, may I tell you honestly how I woke up this morning? This is an average day, Johnny breathed deeply. After my husband, Ken, leaves for work at 6 a.m., and 6 a.m., I'm alone until I hear the front door open at 7 a.m. That's when a friend arrives to get me up. While I listen to her make coffee, I pray, oh Lord, my friend will soon give me a bath, get me dressed, sit me up in my chair, brush my hair and teeth, and send me out the door. Johnny said, I don't have the strength to, uh, that morning she said, I don't have the strength to face this routine one more day. God, she was praying, God, I have no resources. I don't have a smile to take into the day, but God, you do. God, may I have your smile? God, I need you desperately. So one of them asked, so what happens when your friend comes through the bedroom door? She said, this morning, I turned my head towards her. I gave her a smile, sent straight from heaven. It's not mine, it's God's smile. And so I said, gesturing to my paralyzed legs, whatever joy you see today in me was hard won this morning in my time with God. In his presence is fullness of joy. You want more joy? Get more in his presence. And that's why I've been telling you, church, Sunday mornings, Wednesday nights, this is the place where we come into his presence, through worship and the word and through fellowship. Why in the world would you want to miss that? Commit to these nine weeks where we're studying the fruits of the Spirit. Commit to being here and being a part of this thing in his presence. It's fullness of joy. And also, listen, church, listen, listen, listen. Start your day like John Erickson Tata in his presence. If you need to set your alarm 20 minutes earlier, hey, set it 20 minutes earlier. Be in his word to start your day. Be in prayer. Have that abiding relationship with Christ where you're cultivating it on a daily basis. And joy will be growing more in your life. That's the source of joy. It's Jesus Christ. Amen? Let's pray, church. Father, we just thank you so much for your word, Lord. Thank you, God, that your word is true. Thank you, God, that your word instructs us and even the attitudes we're supposed to have and the people we're supposed to be. Lord, help us to live out these beatitudes even this week. 
Help us to be the light of the world, Lord. Help us to be the salt of the earth. Help us to be people that are, have a poverty of spirit in regards to our knowing our own sinfulness and our need for a Savior. Help us to be people that don't celebrate sin, Lord, or flaunt sin, but we mourn over it and we repent of it and we keep things right with you, Lord. Help us to be people that are peacemakers, Lord, people of mercy towards other people. Help us to be people that are gentle, Lord, and we have our strength under your control, Lord. We're letting you be the master of our lives and we're, under, we're letting you guide and lead our lives as we trust in you with all our heart and lean on our own understanding, God. Help us to be people, too, that hunger and thirst for righteousness, Lord. Help us have a personal passion for personal righteousness, Lord, because it's the way to live. It's the best way to live. It's, it'll bring satisfaction to our lives, Lord. And Father, I pray, too, that you just give us the power of the Holy Spirit to do these things and live this way, God. And I know that only comes through an abiding, growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And I pray that we'd re-up on that this morning, God, that we're gonna be in your presence more. We're gonna draw near to you on a daily basis so you can draw near to us and we can live out these things we're learning this morning, God. Thank you so much, Lord, that Jesus, you are the source of our joy. Thank you so much, Lord, that as we walk in your spirit and we're led by you, there's love and there's joy and there's peace There's patience and there's kindness and there's goodness and there's faithfulness and there's gentleness and there's self-control just emanating from our lives. So Lord, would you be doing that? And I pray for some people that might be here this morning, Lord, that have just been fighting it and they've been fighting uh, just being down, struggling. Pray that joy would come this morning and their weeping would turn to joy because they're going to you the fountain of joy. Lord, I pray for people that are here this morning that need to be a peacemaker. They're at odds with somebody. I pray that they'd initiate and reconcile, show mercy, get things right, Lord. I pray for people that might be here this morning that they've been in disobedience. We've all been in seasons like that before, Lord. And you're a God that's rich in grace and mercy. But if you're here this morning, you need to repent. Hey, make today be the day. Confess it. Ask his forgiveness so he can cleanse you from all unrighteousness. You can get back in the path of hungering and thirsting after righteousness in your life. Thank you so much, Lord, for the difference you make. Thank you for being a good, good father. And I pray that you would just help us to be disciples this week that live out these principles. We pray these things in Jesus' name and all God's people said. God bless you, church. Let's stand. Let's worship.